You're listening to The 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others. Individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards. As we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, visit dcarts.dc.gov. Welcome to the 202 Studio. From the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, I'm Jeffrey Scott. Today we are joined by one of the district's creative entrepreneurs, Ms. Marjuan Kennedy. Marjuan, thank you for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. So you are a writer, performer, director, educator, producer of theater and film. You are very busy, you're very active, and I think you you sort of fit that mold of what a lot of us have, what an entrepreneur really is, a creative entrepreneur of working in many different disciplines and fields and aspects of those. So tell us a little bit about how did you come to first want to be involved in the arts? Yeah, well, I actually have been studying theater and performance art um, really since I was a a little kid. Um, And really, you know, just being exposed to it by going to see shows, um, growing up in D.C. and, you know, having art and culture all around us and and so accessible. to the community. So I just started, you know, taking ballet classes and um, being involved in church performances. Um, and then as I got a little older, um, I attended Duke Ellington School of the Arts and I studied musical theater there. So even that um, experience, being able to study, you know, a variety of disciplines in such an intensive, you know, vibrant um, community at Ellington uh, really paved the way for me to uh, go on to New York and L.A. and continue my studies and then begin to find my own voice. So it's really been a journey, uh, a life journey. Yeah. And you really, I mean, you sort of fit that, the, the, the Renaissance model almost of, you know, you think of the, the, actor who writes the play, but also is directing the play and producing the play sometimes and having, you know, a hand in every aspect of it or having that that holistic knowledge of the entire craft and the work that it takes to put into theater, for example. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I... I've I've done so many types of artwork, um, whether it's being on stage or behind the stage, hanging lights, uh, selling <laughs> tickets, publicity, and I think uh, being being able to. Um, be exposed to that and knowing the, the so many different roles it takes to create art. Um, you know, since I was a child, it allows me to uh, move into a lot of different spaces, um, whether it's film or TV or theater or animation. Um, so really for me, I identify as a storyteller, a creative storyteller, uh, where any any story that I'm passionate about, I can, um, I can help bring it to life. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has a lot of skill sets that tend to be transferable, I think, in the theater particularly, because, you know, if, you, if you're if you a writer, a playwright, then you can transfer that to other writing forms, the technical side of it. You know, a lot of times I've known people that have gone on, you know, the carpentry, you know, or electrical work, you know, those sorts of, you know, connections, but that a lot of people just think of the actor on the stage and there's so much more behind it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, theater for one, um, you know, being able to communicate, you know, right. <laughs> I've learned so many uh, life skills that uh, from the theater. So just being able to communicate and, you know, raise money, and, you, mm-hmm. um, you know, create an inviting space for an audience. So um, the theater, for one, is my first love. And that, you know, those experiences um, have been able to provide a lane for me to not only create my own work, but then also to educate young people and to hire, um, you know, colleagues to work with me. So theater, theater for me isn't ever going to go anywhere, um, even when I move into different spaces. Mm-hmm. In your uh, your own education, uh, you went to NYU. Uh, Tish, uh, and did a master's in arts politics. Yes. So what 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 is that degree about? I, I <laughs> Everyone always asks me that. Because I haven't heard of that one before. It's fascinating to me. Um, I feel like that program was perfectly designed for me. Um, I think because, you know, coming from D.C., um, art and culture and community and citizenship was uh, always a part of my life as mm-hmm. a young person and then going on to Ellington. So... As I continued to matriculate um, through college, um, I always knew that I didn't want to be just an actor, um, although that was kind of the lane that I was, um, you know, I was being trained as a as a as a college student. But once I got out and I spent about a year in New York, did the struggling <laughs> actor thing, I realized that that wasn't really for me. So I found this program at NYU um, that combined the study of how art is made, the politics of it, and really understanding as an artist, you know, how do you get funding? How do you build community? How do you create your own work? How do you collaborate? Um, so the community side, the business side, and an actual, the craft making side as well. So I was able to study with uh, Anna D. Avery Smith. She was one of my professors at NYU, um, as well as incredible, uh, you know, artist activists, um, Danny Glover, um, an array of people that, you know, create art uh, with purpose and meaning. So um, that program was great because it was only one year and it really set the track for me to begin creating my own work because I had never written anything. I never um, created anything original. I was always kind of playing a secondary role as an actor um, and very unhappy with just, (laughs) you know, the the roles that are available. Um, which is still, you know, a struggle for a lot of performers, Mm -hmm. all types of performers. But I really, in that program, began to realize that if I don't create it myself, um, I'm not going to be able to do the work that I want to do. So that program really gave me the space um, to not only create, but think, you know, critically and then add theory to it as well to Mm -hmm. really deepen the work. Yeah, I think, you know, as much as, you know, we're taught when we're going through, you know, theater classes, you know, about the, there's, there shouldn't be any typecasting and you want to be flexible and everything. I think the reality of the, the business is that there are types, you know, I mean, depending for the more commercial productions a lot of times and, you know, you a lot of the actors get cast according to type. Definitely. And I think I, I play uh, so many different types because, um, 
one, I'm, I look young. <laughs> I look young. And then um, I'm of mixed heritage, too. My mom is from Trinidad. My dad is African-American. So, you know, I face, you know, being in New York and L.A., I faced so many um, terrible situations that, you know, were um, it's just the industry, you know, being able to understand that if you aren't casting or producing or directing yourself, you fall in line with, you know, whoever is behind the camera. So I think those first hand experiences, um, in very, at times, uh, cutthroat environments allowed me to really, um, decide for myself that, Hey, you know, certain types of stories, um, the, the certain types of stories that I want to tell, I have to be able to be behind the scenes in order to give them life. And any any type of stereotyping that happens um, can only be fixed if you're the person, um, and specifically in my case, a woman of color, um, being able to direct and craft it. You know, it's, it's hard for people to imagine, you know, a certain type of actor or performer playing this role, but in... But the person who cast them in it, they they have to have the courage and be able to have a visionary um, uh, mindset in order to say, yes, let's try this person. And then the audience will believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, that first the first actor that plays the role sometimes will set that type for the rest of the, all the, right. the tours and everything. So, you know, how that gets started, you know, is very Definitely. critical. So um, you... Uh, you have your your brand Kalaloo that grew out of a play and has now become a, a entity unto itself, really. Um, so tell us about that. Yeah, well, Kalaloo actually um, started as my second play, my second original piece back in 2012, and I really wanted to create a piece that um, honored my uh, Caribbean background, uh, the folklore and the history, all from a first-generation child's uh, eyes. And that was really my story. And um, it was a great experience, very collaborative. And um, we did a couple shows. We It got workshopped at the Lincoln Center in New York. Um, and we did a show in New York and a show here at Duke Ellington in D.C. And it was totally sold out and really... I created it because I had developed a small following from my first show uh, that I had did a couple years before, and people were, they they just wanted to see something else. And again, I had never written anything, um, produced anything, Um, so I just did it because really I had no other other option. And uh, from there, a friend of mine that went to Ellington with me he came and saw the production. He's a visual artist, graphic designer, classical painter, and he saw it as a cartoon. And because we didn't have the funding um, and didn't really have a, a lot of personnel to help us, we decided to make it a book and see, you know, just what would come from that. And I guess our first book uh, we published in 2014, we self-published it. And from there, I mean, the floodgates opened. Um, we were 
we designed puppets to go with our um, performance. And so I really brought my theater background um, and film background to it. So we created not only a line of books, but as well uh, digital animated shorts. We did infused live puppetry. We hired a team of actors. So from 2013 to now, we have five books um, in English, Spanish, uh, a line of coloring books and online content. Uh, We have a team in New York. And I mean, I think when Sesame Street called us last year, that was really um, that. I mean, I, we had it. felt like, wow, we really made it. Big we're Bird, we're so doing something Bird. right. Um, so it's been a really great experience to just, you know, take an idea that I had in my living room and be able to um, really workshop it and craft it um, over the years in a safe space, in a safe environment. Um, and now we're moving in the direction um, for TV and um, trying to build the content out for it to live on a more national platform. So what would you say is the the element of this story that has made it take off so much? Is there a single element or, or several things about it that's really that's resonated so strongly that it's blown up like this? Well, I think... At the heart of it, the writing um, and the and the visuals, the, the images are authentic mm-hmm. to uh, my experience as well as my business partner. And we really wanted to create content for children, um, the brand. We create all this content for kids between about three to ten years old. So we really tap into, you know, what our experiences were like and what our neighborhoods looked like. Um, and for a lot of children of color, um, it's different languages and food and extended family, and it's an international experience. So um, I took a lot of my experience growing up up as a first-generation kid in D.C. and living in New York for a good part of my life and being able to integrate food culture and storytelling and, um, you know, kids living in urban cities. So it's very relatable. And our team, it's about 95% women and um, people of color. So we're really coming from a place that is authentic and kids, all kids can connect to it. So um, we, I think that's kind of the stick, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're telling stories that uh, really connect to all children and allow kids to travel and learn about the mm-hmm. world um, in a fun and refreshing way that I think um, those are the things that are missing a little bit in the larger children's market. So um, we're all pretty young. <laughs> so I think we're, we're uh, a little rebellious in the way that we're creating the work and trying to find ways that, to be not traditional. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the population in this country is moving back towards being more urban and folks are moving back to the cities across the United States, not just in the DC area, but, and so, uh, this generation of children is growing up in, in cities where, and not so much maybe as in the suburbs as in previous generations. So those are, you know, different environments. And Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the immigrant community so much, I mean, a lot of times is left out in the larger, um, larger society, which, you know, 
I think all people can relate to that, mm-hmm. um, whether you're directly, you know, your parents are directly from another country mm-hmm. or just coming from another state and being able to um, adapt to a new environment. Mm-hmm. So I think even adults, they get excited <laughs> about mm-hmm. the stories. Um, actually, today we released our new book, um, Kalu, the Trickster, and the Magic Quilt that celebrates uh, Gullah culture. Yeah. So it's actually our third book in our our stories. Um, we have a lot of other um, other other books in the content, but this is our. Um, it's taken about two and a half years to produce this third book, and we do it completely independently, which a lot of people are surprised at um, just because of the quality of it. And we have complimentary performances and other um, other products that go along with the books. But I think it's a real testament for especially the D.C. community, but also for artists to see that you don't have to have a huge machine behind you in order to create meaningful work that, you know, people can relate to. And then how are, how are you doing with distribution? Are you primarily online sales or are you getting into bookseller, like physical stores? As well? A little bit of both. Uh, we do... We do a little bit online. We started off online for quite a bit. Um, but after we got a pretty big following and getting uh, booked at a lot of uh, high-end um, venues and festivals, uh, we moved in br- bringing our books into Barnes & Noble. So now we're in all Barnes & Noble across the country and a lot of libraries, a schools. So um, really it's just been by word of mouth yep. and social media. So a lot of teachers will purchase our books and buy them in bulk. Uh, they'll book us from uh, in different festivals. Um, we just had a year-long residency at the Caribbean Cultural Center in Harlem in New York. So it's really been word of mouth and community. Um, so it's a little bit of, I guess, 50-50 sure. online and then um, in person and in store. And uh, you've been a grantee of the commission's for several years now, um, has have, have those grant funds played a part in, in this work specifically or other uh, things that you've, you've been working on? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, this year, um, both my business partner and I, we both received the Artist Fellowship Award. His was on the visual um, visual art side and then for me on the literary side. So it's been very helpful in building um, this third book and we're going on a summer tour uh, starting in July. So um, that has been helpful in just the production of creating the books, pa- paying our artistic personnel and consultants, um, our actors, uh we actually, with the funding, were able to upgrade our puppets. Uh, we found a designer in Berlin, and she created these beautiful puppets that uh, arm rod puppets that, I mean, they're incredible to look at. So, um, you know, before we were using, they, the other puppets weren't bad, but <laughs> they're just of a higher quality. Sure. So um, we have a very big performance coming up in September. I don't know if I could say it yet, okay. um, but a very big venue has requested us to perform That's in great. September. So I think part of it was having these puppets, these new puppets. Puppets are always good. Every show that I ever did with puppets was sometimes I just wanted to replace the human actors with puppets. Oh, yeah. And- Most of the time I think 
people don't even want to see us. They just <laughs> want to see the puppets. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, the, the grants that she's referring to, uh, the fellowship program, is uh, basically the commission's general operating support grant, general support grant for individual arts and humanities practitioners. So it's largely unrestricted funds uh, uh, awarded by discipline, and the, the grantee can use the, the the funding for a variety of purposes. It's not necessarily tied to a specific project like other grants are. And so in this case, you've been able to uh, cover some of your costs with the production and with your with your sub salaries and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, now you have your you've started a uh, nonprofit of your own, uh, focusing on young women of color and the arts, the Kennedy Foundation. So and been in business for about three years now. Yes. And so it sounds like you're taking off really fast with that one as well. So. Yeah, and I think from doing all this work with young people with Callaloo, um, it kind of was natural. Mm-hmm. I've always worked as a teaching artist, um, you know, since college to really just subsidize income. Um, but after, you know, being able to create work specifically for kids and then doing workshops in schools, really seeing and hearing from teachers things that, you know, was missing in terms of programming and what young people uh, really need in terms of arts education and preparation. Um, if It was natural for me to create my nonprofit. So we actually serve youth from pre-K all the way through college. Um, and we do it through uh, individual workshops as well as um, curated programming, after-school programming, um, Actually, this this fall, we're going to Ghana um, to work with high school young women in the media arts and teaching photography and film. And so, one, it's a great way to connect with youth, but also to bring my colleagues, um, professional artists who you know, may not have so much education uh, training uh, in terms of the classroom, but still want to be able to work with youth. So we do provide opportunities for um, professional artists just to mentor, um, to lead workshops and move in that direction to learn a little bit more about teaching. So um, in the past couple of years, we've worked with the Ryan Seacrest Foundation, Children's Hospital, um, Washington Nationals, Youth Baseball Academy, DCPS, KIPP Charter Schools. So it's it's still growing, and it's still, um, I think, for the my nonprofit, I think that's really what I want to be my legacy as an artist. And um, as, I, as I continue to move throughout my creative projects, um, my, my foundation is the thing that will always be there. Mm-hmm. So I'm still trying to figure out um, in terms of what are next steps. So we have a small team that, um, you know, are constantly, you know, looking for partnerships and collaboration uh, to, to serve youth um, who, who may not have access to, you know, high quality art. And, and, and for me, I really want young people to, to understand that they can create their own work and their voices matter. So, um, it's been good. <laughs> it's been good the past couple of years. So what are some of the, the long-term goals or aspirations that you have for the foundation to see where it goes? Oh, well, for one, I definitely want us to have our own space and be able to 
ongoing, you know, serve uh, the community um, through after school programs, as well as, you know, summer camps and being able to really have a safe space for youth to come and um, create their own work. So definitely, I'd love to have my own studio, um, really in the next year or so. So I'm trying, I'm trying to think positive and be ambitious about that. Um, but definitely having our own space and be able to, you know, send youth to college and to study and to travel abroad. So create um, cultural exchange experiences. So this trip in Ghana is going to be the first of many, I hope, where we can bring youth. You know, we'll be going to uh, work with the young women in Ghana, but hopefully in the next couple of years we can bring, you know, youth from D.C., to to Ghana and more places. Right. And the commission has grants along those lines too, um, as far as cultural exchange and, and that sort of thing. So uh, you're also directing a a your first short documentary, Girls, Girls, Girls. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and where you're at in the process with this. This film has been <laughs> has been a learning lesson um it's really my first baby so girls 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 actually was my f- first original piece that i created in 2010 so about 8 years ago okay. and um it was really created out of frustration and again i wasn't getting quality work that i wanted as an actor right out of college and I kept thinking, you know, I'm a trained actress. Why would they ever ask me to play this video girl? (laughs) And I just remember, um, you know, being really down um, and not knowing, you know, how to get get out of it. And when I went to NYU, I had the opportunity to start writing and I took this satire class. And from that class, um, I took a lot of the frustrations I had and mixed it with my interest in um, black women's history and media and pop culture. And I created this play, which really started as a way to get out of writing a a thesis (laughs) to graduate. But I created this play and really over three and a half years, I developed a small team. We workshopped it about 50 colleges across the country. We took it to regional theaters, did it off-Broadway, and it was the first time I won as a writer and um, creative entrepreneur. I was creating my own work. I was sustaining myself um, financially in New York, and um, I was also filming the process of this. So for about five years, we were just performing all over the country, filming the process. And after that, after five years, I was so tired. But my business partner, she was like, we should turn this into a documentary because the play really addressed the issues of how women of color are portrayed in uh, society through the media. And it's done in a comical way. So through these 10 characters, um, the audience gets to have very deep conversations and think critically about all of our roles in in you know, how we how we see each other. So I play from, you know, 
a rapper to a 16-year-old girl um, to um, a, a young woman that's being sex trafficked, um, a variety of different characters um, in the style of In Living Color. Mm-hmm. And while we were f- filming and shooting all of this, um, I also began to interview women who worked in the community who deal with, you know, everyday issues um, with women and girls. So this film really has taken about six years to develop. um, And I had, I self-financed it myself. And really it, it was a, it was a way for me to learn, you know, how to create um, film. And I, I did a lot of work in LA kind of behind the scenes as a, you know, a PA and a producer and got to work on, you know, big TV uh, sets, but being able to direct something has been a totally different experience as well as produce it. So we're finally getting to the end of post-production and we are hoping, um, to release it at the beginning of 2019, screen it, you know, all throughout the year, as well as um, figure out a way to get the film into schools and really have young people see it. Because the point for me, um, from a play to a film, has just been for the goal was for you know young people to see how the media can influence us. And we have to be conscious of the, th- of the material that we consume, and especially for young women to make, you know, choices. Um, and, it, and, and we need to see more women taking that stance Absolutely. and create the community for people to dialogue and talk about it. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come down and speak with us. And thank you for all that you've done in, in the field and all the contributions that you made. And uh, we wish you the best and look forward to seeing what's next for me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series of the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the Arts and Humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today. Thank you.